Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist Church in North Charleston, South Carolina. And today, I know exactly what you need. You need hope and encouragement. And it is my prayer that the message you are about to hear helps you find hope and encouragement in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Hey, if you'd like to learn more about our church, visit our website, northwoodbaptist.com, or follow us on Facebook. Now, get ready for a message that will help you connect faith to life. Okay. Ready? Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist Church in North Charleston, South Carolina. Hey, if you're listening today, I know exactly what you need. You need hope and encouragement. And my prayer is that the message you are about to hear will help you find hope and encouragement in a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more about our church, visit our website, northwoodbaptist.com, or follow us on Facebook. Now, get ready for a message that will help you connect faith to life. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're spending our time this morning. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 17 through 32 is where we'll be this morning. In a moment, I'm going to read to you verses 17 through 24. We're going to study together verses 17 through 32. So go ahead and find that in your Bibles, Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. If you don't own a Bible, that's okay because in the chair before you, down in the book rack, you should find a copy of the Bible. Pick that copy of the Bible up and find Ephesians with us. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you. Read it and learn about the God who loves you and desires a relationship with you. Ephesians 4, 17 through 32 is where we're spending our time together this morning. Uh, so a, a, a few years ago, there was this young man that he, he liked to um, just watch preachers. He liked to listen to preaching, all that kind of stuff. And so he was watching preachers from all over the country. He was uh, particularly watching preachers that, that pastor very large churches and, um, you know, with thousands and thousands of members and all those kinds of things. And, 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 and as he watched different preachers across the country at these very large churches, he began to notice something. He began to notice the clothing that they were wearing. And so in, not only did he notice the clothing that they were wearing, he, he, he started researching what they were paying for some of the stuff they were wearing. And so he actually started, and some of you might be familiar with this, he started an Instagram site to kind of report his findings. He, he did it anonymously. He didn't want people to know who he was, but he just wanted people to know, hey, this is what your pastor's wearing, right? And so, so he started this Instagram site called uh, Preachers and Sneakers. You ever heard of this? And so, so, so what he would do is he would put pictures up of these pastors at these different churches and, and the shoes they were wearing, and then he would tell you how much the shoes cost. I mean, it sounds like a fun game, it, it, but it took off. It became like this internet sensation. Within a couple weeks of him starting this Instagram site, he had over 8,000 followers. And then within a few months, he had several hundred thousand people following him wanting to know what kinds of shoes pastors were wearing. So just to give you some examples, I'm not going to do many of these, but just let me show you. So I don't know who these guys are, but this guy right here, he was wearing shoes that cost $1,099. I didn't even know they made shoes that cost that much money, but apparently they do. Let me show you the next one. This guy right here, his shoes cost him $3,721. They are Air Yeezys. I don't even know what a Yeezy is, but his Yeezys 
cost him $3,721. He wasn't only showing shoes. He was also showing other things along the way as well. He was talking about how much uh, their belts cost. Like, I didn't know you could buy an expensive belt, but apparently you can. And, and you know, just different stuff. Just showing people the, the, the amount of money that was being spent on these wardrobes, right? Now, just to a full disclosure, if you're wondering about my shoes, um, I think these are Dockers. And I bought them about seven years ago. I think I paid 50 or 60 bucks for them. I'd like a new pair if you want to help me out. Um, I, but, you know, I don't necessarily need Yeezys, but if you want to give me some Yeezys, whatever Yeezy is, I'll, I'll gladly wear your Yeezys. But anyway, there you go. But, 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 but this, this, this gentleman who was reporting on all this stuff, what, what he wanted to show us, he wanted to show us what people were putting on, particularly what pastors were putting on, what they were wearing. Because you know this, right? Uh, everyone, I look around this room, we're, we're all dressed a little bit different. Some of you are like me, you're wearing slacks and a button-up. Some of you are wearing shorts and a t-shirt, whatever, right? Uh, we, we, we all have a style, we all have a preference for clothes. And, and in some ways, right, I mean, you know, kind of what you wear, it, it says something about your personality. If you're laid back, if you're more formal, or whatever the case may be, your, your clothes, they, they, they say something about who you are. If you, you know, growing up, I remember, you know, hearing the statement over and over again, dress for the job you want, you know, things like that. Because, you know, this idea that, you know, what you wear, it, it says something about you. Good, bad, or indifferent, it does, right? So we're in a passage of Scripture this morning, Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul is talking about what we wear. But, but he's not talking about clothing, obviously. He's talking about something far more important. He's talking about wearing our faith. What does it look like to wear the faith that God has given you? And in a specific way he talks about in this passage, he talks about not only wearing the faith, but putting off some things as well. This is a very famous passage in the Bible where Paul talks about putting off some things and putting on some things. And, and, and let me tell you why this passage is so important. Uh, because we need this instruction. One, we need to know what to wear. But two, think about this. When Paul writes these words, he writes it to a body of believers. This is something we're doing together. That he's not necessarily talking to the individual here. Now, he is in a sense, but he's talking to all of us. That this is corporate. That together, we are all pursuing the same thing together. We are all pursuing Christ-likeness. I mean, the, the New Testament talks about this, that, 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 that Christ is going to present us all holy and blameless before the Father. And so there's this idea of, of Paul calling us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to be a people that pursue together holiness. Now, now I'll tell you that, I'll tell you this. We talked last week about, you know, works of the ministry and how the, the church equips us for the work of the ministry, those things that we do as a church. And we want, right? We want God to do something through us. I think everyone in this room, we would say that we want God to do something wonderful through Northwood Baptist Church. We would all say that. But God wants to do not only something through us, he wants to do something in us. And Paul is reminding us that in this very important passage of Scripture. And what I want to show you in this passage this morning, I want to show you two commitments that we need to make, like all of us, together. Two commitments that we need to make this morning as a body of believers. Take your Bibles, look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 32 with us. We're going to read down through verse 24. Go ahead and rise to your feet as we honor the reading of God's Word together. Beginning in verse 17, this is what Paul writes. Therefore... I say this and testify in the Lord. You should no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thoughts. 
They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of their hardness of hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. But that is not how you came to know Christ. Assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for the opportunity to be together, to study your word And Father, to think about the kind of people that you want us to be. Father, your voice is going to speak to us now, and and I am sure that you're going to speak to us clearly. I am sure that you're going to speak to us loudly. And so, Father, as we listen to your voice, we want to listen with hearts that are ready to obey your word. I know this passage is challenging to, to think through what it looks like to live out the new self. Father, we need help with this. And we're trusting that your spirit is going to help us this morning to put off the old and put on the new. And so have your way with us, I ask. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Now, just remember where we are, right? Paul has been talking about in chapter four what we as a church are able to accomplish as, as we submit ourselves to the process that God has laid out for his church of, of equipping us for the work of ministry. And if you remember, Paul said, listen, if, if you'll allow the church to equip you for the work of the ministry, here's what you will attain. You'll attain maturity and unity. You'll be one as the body of Christ. You will live out God's purpose and plan. But let me show you something before we dive into verse 17. Look at what he says in verse 16. From him, the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in the love by the proper working uh, working of each individual part. Now, I I know you know this and and just look around the room again and and look at each other. I know in a church our size, especially, you know, we've kind of grown rapidly over the past couple of years. It's it's hard to know everybody's name and I get that, but, 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 but whether you like it or not, here's the reality. You are knit together with the people in this room. You are. You are one body with the people in this room. On this side, those sitting on this side, they're your brothers and sisters. And for you guys right here, your brothers and sisters of this group right here, we are brothers and sisters in Christ, good, bad, ugly, indifferent. And we are knit together in Christ. That's who we are. And Paul's told us this, right? As one people, God has something for us to accomplish. He has a gospel mission for us to live out together as one people. That's why it's so important. Paul's already told us that we allow ourselves to be equipped for the works of the ministry, right? But now look at what he says. It's not only about just being equipped for the work of ministry. It's about being of one mind together, thinking the same way, about who we are in Christ and what that means. Look at what he says. Therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord. You should no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now, just understand this. When when Paul says Gentiles in this context, what Paul's talking about is people who are not believers. In in the context of of Ephesians, if, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a Gentile, right? And the connotation of being a Gentile in, in this context is you're a pagan, And we've already talked about some of the different things that were going on in Ephesus and how it was just a hotbed of of immorality. And so Paul says, listen, don't walk like the Gentiles do. And you know what it's like. I mean, some of us have been Christians for a long time. 
You remember what it was like to be a lost person, right? And you know this, even as a follower of Jesus, it's easy. It's easy to slip. It's easy to fall back into the same patterns of sin. And Paul says, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Stop. You got to think. Think about who you are. You're not a Gentile any longer. And what Paul does here in these verses, he helps us to remember what it was like to be a Gentile. What it was like to, to, to not follow Jesus. And Paul's goal here now, now listen carefully. Paul's goal here is Paul wants us all, every one of us, you over here, you over here, you back here, you back here. He wants all of us, every single one of us, makes sense that word all, you know what it means? It means all, right? He wants all of us to think the same way about sin. And he's given us truth here. And let me tell you why that's important. On, on, on any given Sunday morning, we have on this campus around 700 people that come and worship between the two services and our children and all the activity on Sunday morning. So you know what that means? That means we've got 700 different what? Opinions about life. And you've all got one. You've all got an opinion about this, an opinion about that. You have an opinion about education. You have an opinion about finances. You have an opinion about politics. I mean, we all have opinions about stuff, right? And, and, and here's reality. You would love it if, if everyone in this church embraced your what? Your opinion. I mean, if you, I mean, this church would be great if you thought like I did, right? And, and you think that way too. You think, man, this place would be great if everybody thought like I did, right? The world would be a much better place if everybody would think like me. And so what we want people to do is we want people to embrace what? Our opinion. Come on over to my side. Embrace my opinion. And some of us, come on now, let's be honest. Some of us in this room, we're very passionate about our opinion. But your opinion is just an opinion. And what Paul's doing in this text, he's not rallying us around an opinion. He's rallying us around the truth. He's saying, I want all of you to think the same way about sin. Look at what he says. Now, we've got to move fast, but look at what he says. He says, listen, you should no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. He goes down to say, right? They, their hearts are hardened. They practice every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I want all of you to think the same way about that past sinful life that you used to live in. He says, all sin is what? It's all futile. Not some sins, not a few sins. All sin is futile because all sin does the same thing. It makes promises that it cannot deliver on, Right? Sin will tell you, if you'll do this, you'll find satisfaction. And you don't. All sin is futile, right? But not only is all sin futile, all sin is short-sighted. Because all sin takes eyes off what? What's lasting. And it puts it on the temporary. I want this now without thinking about the consequences. And what Paul says, he says the consequence for sin, you know it. The consequence for choosing a life of sin is exclusion from the kingdom of God right? Or think about this. Not only that, so you think about sin being futile and short-sighted. It's also what? It's not only futile and short-sighted, it's ignorant. Paul, Paul says this. Look what he says. He says, in, in the ignorance that is in them, right? They don't even know that they're missing out on the things of God. And, and think about the desire, verse 19, for more and more is consuming. Because you know what it's like. 
You know what it's like to give into a little sin. When you give into a little sin, what do you want to do? You want to give into more. And that desire grows and that craving grows. And, and before you know it, your heart becomes hard to the things of God because you're so immersed in that life of sin. And Paul's saying, I just want you to remember, that's who you were. It's not who you are now. Right? And I want all of you to think the same way. This is not my opinion. Uh, this is not up for discussion. This is reality. I want you to all think the same way about sin. It is futile. It is short-sighted. It is ignorant. And it is consuming. Right? So Paul says, now watch. Think the same way about sin. But, but, but now think about who you are. Come look at what it says. You come down and you look at verse 20. But that is not how you came to know Christ. Now, that's an interesting statement. And, and some of you this morning, you brought your Bible with you, and, and you're reading from a different translation than I am. I'm reading from the, the Christian Standard Bible, which, I mean, I, I preach from it, so I obviously think it's a fine translation, but, but some of you have a different translation. You have, like, the New American Standard Version or the English Standard Version or the New Living Translation. And what those translations say, they say what? This is not how you learned Christ. Now, that's an interesting phrase. And, and when I think about that, that, that word learn, I think about what I did for so long, right? Going to school as an as a elementary student, as a middle school student, a high school student, college student, graduate student, spending all of those years in a classroom where I was taught a subject. And as I was taught that subject, I took notes and I took tests to, to prove that I had mastered the subject. But that's not how you came to know Christ, you didn't come to Christ by going and sitting in a classroom and taking notes, right? You came to know Christ how? Well, obviously through Scripture. You learn, you learn something about him in his word. But, but here's, here's what happened for you. On that day that you came to faith in Christ, God was speaking to you through his word. Someone was sharing the gospel with you. And what happened on that day? You learned Christ not as a subject to study. You learned Christ as a person to worship. Because what happened in that moment that you came to know Christ, you had an encounter with a God of all creation who gave his son Jesus for you, who died for you and rose again. It wasn't a subject you learned. It was a person, a God person that you encountered, right? And, and what happened in that moment that you came to faith in Jesus Christ, and I know you know this, in that moment, God did a work in your life, a work of grace, and he instantaneously, when you gave your life to him, he gave you what? A new nature. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If anyone, anyone, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature, creation. All the old is passing away and all things are becoming new. And so, so Paul's just reminding us here that you aren't a Gentile anymore. We all think the same way about sin. We all understand that it was killing us. No, you're different now. You're a new creation. You think this way now about Jesus. He's a person who has changed you, who has given you a new nature. And, and now what Paul does in these verses, really what he's telling us is how we live in that new nature. This is who you are. You're new. And so to live as a new person, you put off the old and you put on the new. We're going to get into verses 25 through 32 in just a moment. And he's going to very practically tell us how to put off the old and put on the new. But what Paul is saying here, he's saying, listen, here's who you were. Now here's who you are. You've been given a new nature, live by it. And so if you think about it, the 
the commitment that we're called to make as a body of believers is we have to commit to thinking the same way about Christ. Now, I'm, I know that sounds pretty elementary. You're, you've been to church a lot. You get that. But, but understand this. Paul is calling us to be unified in the way that we think. Not gathering around opinions, but gathering around truth. Unified in the way we think about sin, that it is destructive, and the way we think about Jesus, that he is a person who has transformed us through his death and resurrection. Be unified in the way you think about Christ, right? And so, so what that means to have this unity of mind means several things, right? That we can't be afraid to have the tough talks about sin. Now, come on. This is where it starts to get a little bit personal. Because we we understand what Christ has called us to. A new life, a different life. And he's called everyone. Remember now, we're knit together as a body of believers. What that means, right, is that when you and I choose inside the body to live against the will of God, when you choose to follow your sinful desires, and when you choose to follow your sinful desires, and you choose to follow your sinful desires, when we're all choosing to live our own way, what happens? It begins to destroy the unity of the body, and we are rendered ineffective in the work that God has called us to. Are you following me? And so what that means is that if we want to protect the unity of the body, then we can't be afraid to talk about what sin is. Now, here's what I know. We don't want to talk about it. Do you know why we want to talk about it? because we might offend somebody. But talk about sin, I might offend this guy over here for his lifestyle or her for her lifestyle, or I might offend his opinion or her opinion or whatever. But, but, but here's what I want you to know. Paul is not scared to talk about sin. He's not scared to call it out because Paul knows that God wants something better for us. That he's called us to a different kind of life. Let me just give you an example. Take your Bibles. We could look at several, but let me just show you one. Go back just a couple of pages to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, listen to what Paul says. Now the works of the flesh are what? Obvious. The works of the flesh are obvious. Notice that Paul doesn't say, I'm not a biologist, right? (laughs) Instead, he says, now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. He goes on to say, right, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's pretty straight to the point, would you say? And and this is not the only place where Paul gives a list of sinful choices and behaviors that affects the body of Christ. He does this several times. I'm just telling you that Paul, the apostle Paul, this follower of Jesus who wrote most of your New Testament, he was not afraid to call sin, sin. But you are, and I am. We don't want to offend people, Right? But, but when you think about, when you think about the thousands of people outside of this church in this community who will enter into a Christless eternity if they don't accept the gospel of Jesus Christ, then it doesn't matter who we offend because there's something larger at stake than how somebody feels about their lifestyle. Do you see what I'm saying? And so all 
I'm saying here is that Paul is saying, okay, if we're going to walk in unity, we have to be willing to call sin, sin. And we have to be willing to deal with it. Now watch this. We can't be afraid to talk about it. Now going back to the last slide. We can't be afraid to talk about what's going on in our own hearts. Do you know why we don't want to talk about sin? Because we're doing it, right? And you don't want to talk about it. You want to ignore it. And I want to ignore it. We want to sweep it under the rug like, like it's just no big deal. And then you think about it. What's so sad is that, that at a church like ours, some of us will come to church every week and we'll be here for lots of things. We'll, we'll, we'll come, to, come, come to Sunday morning worship. We'll go to Life Connection Group. We'll be here on Wednesday nights for Awana or for student ministry or for adult Bible study. We'll come back on the weekends for an event. And all those things are good. And I'm so, I mean, hear my heart. I am glad that you are so committed to this church and the work of this church. But, 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 but my heart breaks when I think about the reality that for some of us, we'll go through a whole week and we'll be up here four, five, six hours a week maybe, and we'll never hear anyone ask us the question, hey, seriously, how's your walk with God? You'll never hear someone ask you, what's going on in your heart? How's your soul? What are you struggling with? How can I pray for you? I want to help you grow. You see what I'm saying? Listen, if, if we're saying that what Christ wants is to do something in us so he can do something through us, then we can't be afraid to have the tough talks about sin. And we can't be afraid to talk about what's going on in our own hearts, going to the next slide. And, and we can't try to cover up what's going on in our hearts by treating the things of God as a subject to learn. Right, because we come to a place like this and we just want to learn. Teach me some deep things, right? And, 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 and I just want to remind you that I love to learn. I mean, I, I went to school for a very, 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 very long time. I like to learn. But the church is not an academy where you just come and you learn things about God like he's a subject to study. No, no, no. The church is more like what? An open heart surgery center. You're coming to allow God to do a work in you. And that work only happens as we're willing to talk about sin, right? And, and to ask each other the hard questions or think about this. Oh, listen, we can't try to cover up what's going on in our hearts by doing more Christian stuff. Well, you know, I served and I was at this event and that event. And in our minds, we think if I, if I do just enough Christian stuff, then I don't have to talk about what's going on in my heart. And we use the, the Christian stuff, right? The service and the ministry as a cover-up to try to cover up what's actually going on inside of us. You see what I'm saying? And all I'm saying is that Paul is saying, you, got, you, 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 we, 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 we've got to think the same way. That together we're serving the Lord together, but not only are we serving the Lord together, we're also growing together in Christ's likeness. And growing together in Christ's likeness means we make a corporate decision to die to sin and live for Christ. You see what I'm saying? I'm so proud of my, my oldest son, Luke. He, um, he is, um, he's, got, he's got a career now. He, he started his own business, if you will. He, he's got three lawns that he's mowing this summer in our neighborhood. He started mowing last summer one of our members' yards, and, and then his neighbor said, oh, he does not a bad job. And so now he's doing that yard, and then one across the street. He's got three yards he's mowing, right? 11 years old, I mean, that's a, I think that's a pretty big deal. And we're real proud of him, right? So that means he's got money now, right? And, you know, it's a good thing for, to have money. I mean, who doesn't want money? I mean, I'd like to have more of it. We all want money, right? And so, so he's got this job, he's making money. And so, so, so this week, I mean, we were getting ready for bed and now I was in his room and I was telling him good night and he said dad I want to go shopping I'm like 
Well, yeah, well, I mean, you got money. I don't blame you. Let's go on Amazon and, and see what we can find. We'll have it shipped to the house. It's, it's a miracle how it work, works, right? And then, then, then listen, listen. He said, Dad, can we go to Tanger this weekend? I mean, failure as a father. I don't know where I went wrong. And, 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 and I'm thinking, uh, I mean, I don't know if, if Stacy put him up to it, if she brainwashed him. You know, I, just, I have no idea, but I'm thinking, oh, Tanger, Tanger, Tanger. I mean, I mean for, for so long in our house, we, we, were, we were unified. Not, not Stacy. She was, she was the enemy, but the rest of us. All right, Hudson and, and Luke and I, we were, we were unified in our loathing of Tanger. And now all of a sudden, the unity is breaking. You see what I'm saying? You know what it's like to have unity broken. And all Paul's saying is if we don't get this figured out, what it means to live for Christ together, it will affect our unity as the body of Christ. I'm going to run out of time and I got a lot more to go, but let me just bear with me for a moment. I've been watching a... um, documentary on TV this week with my wife about a mega church where there has been cover-up of sexual abuse, where uh, two pastors have had outrageous affairs, and now that, 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 that church that did not walk in holiness is a subject of a documentary on public TV, a laughingstock in our culture now. Paul's serious about this. We've got to think right about who we are in Christ. But let me show you, we've got to move. Not only do we have to commit to thinking the same way about Christ, going to the next slide, we have to commit to living the same way before Christ. Now, now I just, we already talked about this, but let me just fly through this. We're not going to spend a lot of time looking at these different examples, but let me explain to you what Paul does. So, so Paul lays out the case, put off the old, put on the new. And then what Paul does in verses 25 through 32, he gives us examples of what this looks like. Here's what it looks like, church, not only to be unified in the work we're doing, but to be unified in the kind of lives we're living before Christ and before each other. And so what Paul does, he tells us what to put off. And he tells us what to put on. Now, he doesn't tell us to put over. Some of us want to do that. We want to put some good Christian stuff over the bad stuff and just cover it up. But it's not what he does, right? And he doesn't just tell us to put off. And some of us want to do that too. And because, because we've been caught in our sin. Your wife caught you looking at pornography. You got caught in your gossip and, and it hurt somebody. You got caught in your sin and, and, and you don't want to get caught again, right? And so because you don't want to get caught again, you know what you do? You start trying to, to stop, right? And so, so you, you, you white knuckle it and all those kinds of things and you're able to stop looking at that pornography. You're able to stop gossiping. You're able to stop whatever it was that you were doing because you don't want the negative consequence of that behavior anymore. You're able to stop the addiction to alcohol. You're able to stop the addiction to drugs. You're able to stop because you don't want to face the negative consequence anymore. The doctor told you if you keep overeating, you're going to have a heart attack. And so you, you got healthy, you stopped. But you never dealt with the heart. See what I'm saying? You put off, but you didn't deal with what was inside. And so you stopped with the gossip, but you didn't deal with the bitterness that lays inside of you. You stopped with the, 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 the um, pornography, but you didn't deal with the lust that's within inside of you. You stopped the behavior because you didn't want the negative consequence, 
but you didn't deal with the heart. And what Paul is saying is, listen, you have a new nature and we're putting off and putting on to reflect that not because we just want to stop to get rid of the negative consequence, but because we want to walk in the newness that Christ has purchased for us through his death and resurrection. And so look what he says, what Paul gives us here. Now, we're going to go fast, so buckle up. Here we go. But what Paul does, now watch, he tells us what to put off, he tells us what to put on, and he tells us why. And it's all relational. Relational. These are all in the context of relationships because he's wanting us to be unified as a body. But let's go fast. Therefore, putting away lying. That's what you put off. Speak the truth. Each one to his neighbor. That's what you put on. Truth. Why? Because we're members of one another. Verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Now, you know, like I know, that the anger, it's an emotion that just pops up, that, that, that anger in and of itself is not sin, but acting on the anger in a sinful way is sin. Being angry and lashing out to your spouse, being angry, right, and, and gossiping about somebody, being angry and whatever, that's the sin. And so what Paul says is, nope, put that off. And instead do what? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Instead, put on the ability to reconcile and deal with it. Why? So you won't give the devil an opportunity because if you allow that anger to fester, my friend, you are opening up a door for the enemy to come in and destroy, right? So don't put off, put on, and here's why. Look at the next one. Let the thief no longer steal, right? So don't steal, put that off. Instead, do what? He has to do honest work with his own hands. Get a job, right? Why? So that instead of having the heart of a thief, you'll have the heart of a giver. Instead of taking, you'll give. Come down, let's go fast. Verse 29, I love this one. No foul language should come from your mouth. Put that off, right? Instead, put on what? Only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives, here's why, so that it gives grace to those who hear. And verse 30, don't grieve the Holy Spirit because when you and I choose rebellion, we bring sorrow to the heart of God. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, verse 31, anger, wrath, shouting, and slander be removed from you. Put off, right? Instead, do what? Put on kindness, being compassionate to one another, forgiving one another. Why? Because in God, and God has also forgiven you, in Christ. So you see, put off, put on, here's why. And the ultimate why is because what God has done in you, because he's forgiven you and he's made you new. And so all Paul is doing here, he's, he's making it real practical. He's saying, okay, you've got this new nature, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Now live as who you are. Don't be like the Gentiles. Don't go back to that. Think about who you are in Christ. Think right about Christ and think about the way you live before Christ, right? And so let me give you a few things and we'll be done. So what this means, what this means for us practically is you have to think more about the body of Christ and how your sin affects the body because you don't. Not nearly enough because I don't nearly enough, right? Because in our mind, when we think about the church, we still think about the church as what? The place that we go, the event we attend, that thing we do on Sunday for an hour or so, right? But that's not what the church is. It's not a place you go. It's the people you belong to. And I know you might not see people in this room, but once or twice a week, and you might not even know everybody in this room, and I get all that. But again, we're knit together. And so what that means, that means your spiritual immaturity affects all of us. 
Your unwillingness to follow God by faith affects the entire body. And so I'm just telling you, when you're in that place of temptation, think about how it affects you, how it affects your loved ones, and how it affects the body of Christ because there are ramifications for the entire body when we choose as a church family to walk in sin and not in holiness. Or think about this. You have to be more urgent in your pursuit of the calling of God on your life. Because for Paul, it was urgent. He thinks about this city of Ephesus and all the sin that was in that city. And Paul knows that this this small congregation in Ephesus and other congregations that would read this letter in the surrounding area, he knows these churches have the answer for the problem of sin in their culture. It's urgent because people are dying and going to hell. It's urgent that we live out our faith in such a way that that we're able to say with confidence, Christ has changed me and he can change you too. It's urgent, but here's reality. For many of us, we lack that urgency because we've gotten so entangled in our sin and so entangled in the things that oppose God. There's no gospel urgency There's no urgency about the mission. There's no urgency in the things that God has called us to because we've settled down in a lifestyle that displeases him. There's gonna be some urgency. Think about this, right? You have to stop condemning the sins of others while accepting your own because we still have that problem, don't we? You'll look across the room or look across this church and you know somebody's business and you think, man, I'm glad my life isn't as bad as his. I'm glad I'm not doing what she's doing, but yet you've accepted your own sin as normal and you've rationalized it. You have what, what, what you would call acceptable sins. It's not hurting anybody. It's just my, my, I'm gonna mind my own business. And so while you condemn, on the one hand, you accept your own sinful lifestyle. Or think about this. You have to go, oh, you have to be in discipling relationships with other believers. We talk about this all the time, don't we? But you need it. You need those people in your life that will ask you every single week, how is your soul? How is your walk with God? What are you struggling with? And finally, you have to go deeper in the gospel. I don't know how to help you understand this. I mean, all I can do is tell you again that something happened 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, you were on your way to hell to be eternally separated from the God of all creation because of your rebellion against him. But 2,000 years ago, there was a person, not a, a, you know, a somewhere out there subject, not a philosophy, not an abstract thought. There was a person born in Bethlehem who lived in Nazareth, a person who was the God-man, And this person, Jesus Christ, lived the life that you could not live and went to a cross and died the death that you deserve. On the cross, he suffered the wrath of the Father so you would never, never, never have to suffer the wrath of the Father. On the cross, he was condemned so you will never be condemned. On the cross, he took all of the punishment Not part of it, not some of it, not most of it, but all of it on your behalf. And then three days later, this one who died in your place walked out of a grave triumphantly, proving that he was God in the flesh who came to rescue you and save you 
and give you abundant life on this earth and an eternal life with him who now resides inside of you. Now you can understand why Paul is saying, don't go back to the way of the Gentiles church because you have a mission, a mission that's been given to you by the God who came and rescued you from your sins. A God who loves the world so much that he's not stopping his mission with you. He wants to use you to bless the world. My friend, I think some of us forget how precious that gospel message is and how our lives have really been forever changed because of it. You really were on your way to hell, but you ain't anymore. You have every spiritual blessing in Christ. You see? Paul is just calling us to say, listen, don't go back. And you guys, you've got to do this together. You've got to hold on together. You've got to be unified together. Because here, and I know I'm out of time, but don't look at your watch. So I know, but listen, listen, listen. Here's what I know. There is a world outside of this church that's very much together. There is an agenda that's being pushed down your throat. There's an agenda that's being pushed down the throats of your children. This world is unified in an attack against the very things of God. Don't believe me? Turn on the TV for 10 minutes. That's all you need. Scroll social media for five minutes. That's all you need. Right? Unified in an attack against the things of God. That's reality. And, and, and the heartbreaking reality is, is some of us are being swayed by it. Some of us have bought into the lie. And all the more reason for us as a church to be unified and say, no, 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 no. We know the truth. We're going to call sin, sin. We're going to call righteousness, righteousness. And we're going to choose to walk in the truth. You see, there is an urgency here. And for some of us this morning, God is placing an urgent call on your life right now. You see? For some of you, you've never responded to this good news that Christ died and rose again for you to forgive you of all your sins and to give you an eternal destiny with him. And this morning, as we conclude our time and we have a time of invitation, there's an urgent invitation to embrace the gospel message, to believe that Christ died and rose again for you and to turn from your sins and turn to him. If you're watching online, you'll see a number up here on the screen. Text the name Jesus to that number. We want to reach out to you and help you today begin a relationship with Jesus. In this room, there's an urgent call to salvation. In the corners of this room are two crosses. And there's going to be someone there who's ready to meet with you and pray with you and help you today to embrace Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. It's urgent. And, and in this room, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, there's an urgent call as well. Because some of you feel it right now. Right now, in this moment, you feel the urgent conviction of the Spirit. He is pointing out to you what needs to go and what needs to be put on. He's pointing out a sin that needs to be crucified. And he's pointing out a heart trait, a a heart characteristic of Christ that needs to be put on in your life. Right now, the Spirit is doing that. Right now, there's a sense of urgency that that God has your attention. He's saying now, today, today is to get back on track. There's a a real battle taking place and there's a a real mission for the church to accomplish. And, And you're a part of the family. You're on the team. You're a soldier of the army. Let's go, right? God is saying that to you with urgency. And my my question for you as we end our time is will you with urgency heed that call? Will you with urgency confess that sin this morning? Will you with urgency 
commit to say, Tommy, or Pastor Trey, or Pastor Logan, or Pastor Randy, or one of our pastors, please just put me in a discipleship group because I need that accountability. Will you with urgency live out who you are in Christ? And maybe it's just as a, a, a way of saying that to God this morning, you want to come down front and gather in prayer as a, just a visual commitment to God, a visual reminder to this congregation that, yes, this is urgent. And I'm coming in confession and repentance, and I'm, I'm asking God to help me to live with urgency for the sake of the gospel in the body. And my friend, we're in this together. We're in this together. Father, thank you for this morning and for time in your word. Now, Father, as we respond, we want to respond in obedience and in faith. For that person in this room who's never placed his faith in you, I pray he or she would come this morning trusting you as Lord. And for those of us who are part of your body, may we sense that urgency to live right before you, to think right about who you are and to live the right way before you as we allow your spirit to help us to put off the old and to put on the new. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace, for your goodness to us, for helping us to be those people that you've caused to be. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Rise your feet as a time of invitation. You come now as the Spirit of God leads you.